Thank you, Vic. I just want to start uh, by asking a few kind of connected questions. They're rhetorical questions. I don't expect anyone to answer them, at least not out loud, although the very first question I'm going to ask, Brian has already answered it out loud and confessed. And the first question I was going to ask is this, have you lost your temper recently? And yes, thank, no, you weren't, Vic, you weren't meant to answer. Uh, but have you lost your temper recently? Has anyone screamed at the kids this week? Or maybe even struck out at them? Have you left your partner or a friend or a colleague shocked and reeling from the force of some of the words you've used this week? Are you the kind of person who easily snaps at a shop assistant or a waiter when he or she makes a mistake? Has anyone lost it this week trying to do some Christmas shopping amidst all the crowds? More and more people are starting to get nervous and squirm in their seats. <laughs> Do you find yourself standing on your horn when someone pulls out in front of you or when someone puts their indicator on at the last moment? Has anyone ruined a family get-together, a celebration, maybe even at Christmas by an outburst? Does anyone regret getting angry this week? Lots of people are smiling at me. And I could go on, but tonight we, uh, we're finishing up our series. This is the last one in the series on the Old Testament book of Proverbs, Everyday Wisdom for Everyday People. And we could continue the series in the new year. We haven't looked at subjects that Proverbs does deal with, for example, choosing friends wisely. We could have looked at that. Or what to do about a quarrelsome wife who's as annoying as constant dripping on a rainy day. Those are not my words. It's Proverbs 24, 27, 15. But we're actually going to press pause and probably in fact stop. Um, and we're going to start a new series in, in 2017 called Revealed. And I'll say more about that in, in January. But this evening we're going to conclude Sluggard Sloths and Leaky Faucets by thinking about another highly relevant subject or rather attitude of heart that the wisdom writer writes about and offers advice on on a number of occasions and that subject is anger. How do you or how can you manage anger? Now as Vic prayed, this is a complicated issue. This is a tricky subject. Many psychologists consider it to be our most baffling emotion. Happiness, sadness, fear are all fairly easy to understand, apparently, but, but anger is different. I wonder why that is. For example, what determines the length of our fuse? Some people get angry over the slightest irritation, whereas others face major challenges, major calamities, injustices without getting angry. What determines the length of your fuse? And what determines our means of expressing anger? Some people turn their anger inwards while others lash out. 
at people around them, even those they love. Say more about that in a moment. What's responsible for the varied responses in this? Genetic differences, early childhood experience, spiritual maturity, luck of the draw, all of the above. And even from a purely Christian perspective, this isn't overly straightforward. Someone could say, well, well, anger is one of the seven deadly sins, isn't it? Wrath is one of the seven deadly sins, so that's the end of that. Well, no, it's a little more nuanced than that, to say the least, because at times the Bible seems to imply that it's perfectly okay to get angry. For example, and this is a well-known verse which Paul writes to the church, to the new believers in Ephesus, who can tell me the verse I'm just about to quote. In your, what? In your anger, do not sin. So it's clearly possible to be angry, according to the Bible, and yet not sin. The great church reformer Martin Luther once said, when I'm angry, I can write, pray, and preach well. Maybe that's my problem. (laughs) And surely anger is a right response to cruelty and injustice. It's entirely right and appropriate to experience strong feelings of displeasure and indignation in certain situations, isn't it? But is it ever right and appropriate to manifest our anger by throwing objects, punches, or tantrums? At what point in our anger do we sin? Where's the line? How do you know you've crossed it? Plus, as we think about this further, it's important to recognize that God himself gets angry. In Numbers 11, we read that the Lord's anger was kindled. In Psalm 30, we discover that the Lord's anger lasts only for a moment, but however it sparked and however long it lasts, the point is this. If God gets angry, then it can't be wrong or a sin in itself. Or as one writer has put it, and this is helpful, if God himself gets angry, then anger is not a bad or sinful emotion that inevitably leads to bad or sinful behavior. And remember, we're all made in the image of God. We love because God loves We get angry because God gets angry. Although characteristically, we have spoiled and we've corrupted those things in our lives and therefore God's image in us has become distorted. You see, God's anger is always constructive. Ours, not so much, every single time. So how do we deal with this highly relevant issue and subject and emotion. Well, according to the Bible, there is a way to express anger constructively, although it's not easy. And I'm not going to give you many answers tonight. But this is where Proverbs does offer help and hope. Listen to and look at this one wise piece of proverbial advice. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit is better than he who takes a city. 
And the Proverbs writer is, is talking about managing your anger, ruling your spirit is how he puts it. Which is better than being a mighty war hero. But that's hard and the writer knows that, which is why his honesty is refreshing because he acknowledges that it takes more strength and it takes more courage to control your anger and this emotion than it does to capture a fortified city. That's how hard this is. That's how difficult this is. Let me ask you a question. Are you a bottler or a spewer? Do you tend to bury your anger when you get hurt or upset or frustrated? And you hope that it will eventually go away. It's a risky approach, isn't it? Because bottled up anger or repressed anger or however you want to put it, generally, eventually tends to leak. And so you become irritable as it gnaws away at you, as it simmers, as it bubbles away under the surface. And we can sometimes then withdraw from others and go into ourselves because we're afraid of it leaking out in company or leaking out in public, and then we're scared that people will think worse of us if we do explode. And another key danger of kind of bottling up anger is that we begin to take pride in the fact that we never explode and we never get angry in public or in front of people. And what's worse, pride or anger? Or are you, are you a spewer? You've no problem admitting when you're angry and when it comes to expressing it, well, you act like a burst dam. You slam doors. You kick pets. You voice off at friends and or God. You turn green. And you leave a trail of damaged things and people in your wake. Well, the writer of Proverbs seems particularly aware of the damage that spewers can cause. And so he writes these words. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with anyone who's easily angered or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. You see, when you spend time with spewers, not only do you tend to risk getting hurt, but you also tend to start spewing yourself. So the writer says, think carefully about who you spend time with, who you hang around with. A few chapters later, the writer also explicitly says, only fools give full vent to their anger. Only fools spew it out all the time. They're foolish. Those kind of people are foolish and they're a danger to be around. And the rest of that particular proverb says, but the wise quietly hold back, which is different from bottling it up or allowing it to stew. And this takes us back to Proverbs 16. And, and this whole idea, and I don't know if you noticed this phrase, this idea of ruling our spirits. What does that mean? What does it mean to rule our spirits? Well, what it means is at the end of the day, we have a choice. Each one of us here has choices to make about what we do with our anger. 
But before we think about making good choices, I want to take a step back and think about or focus on what what is it that makes us angry? Why do we get angry? What are the root causes? And I don't mean we simply need to identify the external event or circumstance that has prompted our anger. Most of us can easily identify our name or spot that. We're stuck in a traffic jam. People make decisions without us. The plane is delayed. The waitress spills something over us. Those external circumstances that they're easy to spot, but what we've got to do is think about what, what's going on inside us at that moment. What internal attitude or underlying attitude is driving our reaction? Is it a sense of injustice? This isn't fair. Is it a sense of disappointment? I expect better. I expect more from you, from this, from them. Is it a sense of frustration? It's a lack of patience or a willingness to appreciate that there's a bigger picture here? Is it a sense of pain? That, that, that has hurt me, and so I'm going to lash out in anger. Is it a sense of inconvenience? That, that interrupts my plans. Because, you see, once you've identified what is actually going on in here, then we can choose how to proceed, or what to do next, or what to do differently. So for example, if, if something isn't fair and it makes us angry, I can choose to speak up or speak out or take up the cause. Or if I feel hurt by someone, then instead of flying off the handle, I can choose to go and speak to that person and try to sort this situation out. Or if I'm frustrated in a situation, Whenever that indicator goes on, or the person cuts, I can choose to be patient. Or I can choose to stand on my horn. Or if I feel a sense of inconvenience or discomfort, then I can accept that, you know something, it's not all about me. And about my agenda and my rights or whatever. So what I'm really saying or suggesting here is that a careful examination of our attitudes is important. It's essential because our character growth depends on it. Let let me share a couple of other gems of kind of wider biblical advice and and then make a critical comment. Let me go back to the, the Apostle Paul and what he says in Ephesians. And it relates to the need to deal with anger before it does kind of take root and before the enemy uses it to make damaging inroads into our lives. In many ways, here is an antidote to being a bottler. Because how does the rest of Proverbs 4.26, in your anger, do not sin, then what does Paul say next? Do not do what? Do Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And here's the bit. Do not give the devil a foothold. You see, if anger beds down, if it settles in, if it's allowed to fester, it will wreak havoc. It will eventually leak, and then it will be used by the enemy of our souls for his advantage. We've got to deal with anger quickly and intentionally. In in a Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, Jesus spoke about anger. And as he spoke about anger, he referred everybody back to the sixth commandment, which says, do not murder. But then he went on to say that anyone who is angry with his brother is subject to similar judgment, which if nothing else reveals how dangerous Jesus believed anger can be. 
And so what was his advice? What did he say in that situation? You must do. He said, go and sort it out. Don't bottle it up. Don't lash out. Go and sort it out. Address it quickly. Because you see, Jesus knew that unresolved anger, bottled up anger, was potentially lethal. And so he urges us to deal with it as soon as possible before it wrecks our relationships and wrecks our lives. As I said earlier, this, this is complicated. And we have thought about it from a, from a couple of different angles, but there's a risk that someone may go away from here and think, well, at the end of the day, really all David shared with us was a kind of version of anger management, which I can read anywhere. Go on a course about it, in fact. Seems to me that, that somehow it's, it's down to each of us individually to control our anger. That when David talks about ruling our spirits, is, is it down to me? Is it over to me on how I deal with this? And so let me be really really clear and say that without God's help, without the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, in our lives, I will, you will, we will sin in our anger. Unless I recognize that I'm not on my own in this, that because the Spirit of Jesus is living inside of me, I can therefore choose not to sin in my anger. I can rule my spirit because I am indwelt by his spirit. And therefore, if I'm going to manage my anger from a biblical perspective, from a Christian perspective, I must know what it means to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. As Paul urges every Christian to do. I need to constantly be looking to God's spirit within me to guide me, to lead me, to control me. You see, to rule our spirit means, and, and some of you have maybe been looking this up in your version of the Bible and noticed that actually it doesn't say rule our spirit, but what it says is exercise self-control. And what is self-control? It's a segment of the fruit of the spirit. It's the ninth segment. So if you are going to be able to manage your anger, if you're a bottler, if you're a spear, if you're ever going to make a way or find a way forward in this, you have got to walk in step with the Spirit of God who indwells you and enables you to make good choices. Let me also offer you some practical advice. And again, it's from God's Word. It's not from some website or whatever. And it comes from the Psalms. And it's Psalm 4 and it's verse 4 in a particular version. It says this. In your anger do not sin. So echoes of Ephesians 4. When you're on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. And then that great phrase, selah, which means pause. Think about that. Many people have heard of the daily examine or the prayer of examine. Stick your hand up if you've heard of this, right? A number of people have. Derives from the Latin word from examination. 
The daily examine is a, it's an Ignatian spiritual discipline. It, it's a method of reviewing your day in the presence of God, although it's more of an attitude than a method. And the idea is that you allow about 10 or 15 minutes at the end of each day to quietly review the past day. It's a kind of silent searching of the heart. Maybe not as you lie in your bed, but at some point toward the end of the day. And I think it's an amazing discipline. And there are five steps to it. And the five steps are these. Ask God for, for light. I want to look at my day with God's eyes, not, not merely through my own. Step two, I, I give thanks. The day that we have just lived has been a gift from God. And so we express our gratitude to God for the day that we have just lived. Then step three, we, we review the day. We carefully look back on the day we have just completed being guided by the Holy Spirit. And step four, we face our shortcomings. And tonight, Brian has led us in a prayer of confession. Vic has led us in a prayer of confession. But at the end of each day, we, we do face up to, in the prayer of examine, we face up to what is wrong. Where have I got it wrong? And then step five, we look forward to the day to come and we admit where we need God's help in the day that lies ahead. But under step four, and linking this to Psalm four and to Ephesians four, which is all very neat and memorable, reflect intentionally, face up to your shortcomings and specifically consider the presence and expression of anger in your day in the day that you've just lived. And so as we sit here, that clock stopped. It's at eight o'clock. I've passed eight. As we come to the end of today, and as we take a moment to think back over it, and where we did get it wrong, and where we didn't walk in step with the Spirit, and where we didn't exercise self-control, and where we felt angry, and either we're pushing it down or else we've lashed out. Let's just take a moment to pay attention to the attitude of our hearts and ask God for help. That in the day to come, step five if you like, in the day to come, we'll look to him for help. That we will not let the sun go down on this day and remain angry. And a proverb to close. An angry person starts fights. A hot-tempered person commits all kinds of sin. You see, unless we rule our spirits, unless we exercise self-control, we're going to create all kinds of mess. And I encourage you to embrace the wisdom of the Proverbs.
I encourage you to rule your spirit on this emotion. And I encourage you from time to time maybe to engage with the daily examine. Let's pray. Father, we do sit before you as a group of people and we look back over even just this day. We give you thanks for it. It has been a gift from you. We thank you for every conversation, every point of contact, every piece of food. Thank you that you have been with us, that you've never left us. For those of us who belong to you, God, you indwell us by your Spirit. Thank you for those moments where we have been in step with your Spirit. God, again, we ask for forgiveness and we ask for your help for those moments where we have gone out of step. Where we haven't exercised self control, where we haven't ruled our spirits, where in our anger we have sinned. And I ask you to help us tomorrow to walk closer to you, to look to you, to depend on you. And so we don't want this day to end and the sun to go down and to be still angry. So in your mercy, Lord, hear our prayer and lead us on. For it's in the name of Jesus we ask it. Amen. We're going to finish by singing 10,000 Reasons. Uh, it's a song that talks about the fact that God is slow to anger. And it also starts by saying the sun comes up, a new day dawns. And so let's give thanks for the fact that that is going to happen. Uh, God willing. So let's stand together.